spirituality, consciousness, health, and mindset. Welcome to the Ascend Podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Chris Hopper. And I'm Dan Harrison. Together, we are all wisdom and knowledge. Hey, what is up everyone? This week on the Ascend podcast, we're joined by Tom Werner. He's a magician. He used to be a psychology professor for 35 years. He also co-authored a book about dreams called The Transformational Power of Dreaming, which I definitely recommend checking out. And Tom has a very interesting story. And he actually left teaching to carry out his dream of performing magic and started a platform called Magicians Without Borders, where he actually travels all over the world performing shows in refugee camps, orphanages, hospitals, schools and other communities and he believes that magic is a gift of hope. And this podcast with Tom was an absolute gem and before this conversation with Tom we actually never knew much about Tom and he'd never been on many podcasts or anything but wow what such a wise, wise person. So much incredible insight into the world and really used and expresses the imagination and awe and wonder of magic to really transcend over a bigger message over about the human experience. And as you will see in this podcast, he has so many incredible stories and the wisdom and knowledge that comes through in his stories and lessons he has learned from traveling around the world performing magic and also in his day-to-day life experience are just so beautiful and provide so much perspective and will also give you so much hope and knowledge and encouragement in your journeys as well. So from after having a conversation with Tom and actually now having time to digest his words, as sometimes when we're actually really in this thing and having a a podcast conversation with someone, you can't always straight away just digest what someone in in them exact moments is actually trying to say to you. But for me, the subconscious mind is always there just soaking it in just like a sponge in a pool of fluoride-free water. (laughs) But after soaking in all of Tom's fluoride-free water in my own sponge, I've really come to understand how artists of all kinds, including magicians, are actually connoisseurs of human behaviour and perception and are actually striving to invoke particular experiences in their audience. And the best magicians and artists in the world are not actually trying to trick people into seeing or not seeing. They're actually using the art form to highlight or show or even open up the person to a brand new reality in a new way of viewing the world. And also how magic can also be used as a bridge to the human consciousness and how a trick is not just a trick a trick can be used internally to awaken a sense of wholeness and power and nudge people's consciousnesses into a certain direction and this is the way i like to say it just imagine like a pinball machine and the good pinball machines will always just try and leave you playing the game all day all long and the good pinball machines will actually try and nudge you into another direction down a certain hole But what they're really trying to say is get off that pinball machine and go outside and just crawl through some holes, climb a tree, run outside, jump in a puddle, whatever, you get the idea. But anyway, it's a very interesting how life provides us with many different methods, arts or tools or bridges to the human psyche. And there is also 
so many different ways out there just to shift or change people's perception and we've just all got to find our a way to sort of tap into one or tap into it and a beautiful quote just to sum up that what i've just said it said the world is full of magic things patiently waiting for our senses to grow sharper and that is by a guy called wb yates and just before we do jump with this one, I just want to say thanks so much to all the incredible people over at Patreon who have actually decided to support the podcast. It really means so much to us. And for anyone who hasn't yet decided to become a Patreon member, it would be absolutely amazing if you could just consider joining the Patreon community. It's also in the process of supporting the podcast. And when you also become a Patreon member by donating whatever amount each month that you can, even if it's only $2 a month, you will gain access to bonus content that is only available to Patreon subscribers. And on that Patreon page as well, we are constantly adding new bonus content and rants every week. And we've also just added a new bonus rant called Warrior vs. Monk, which I think you'll find very interesting, where we talk about stillness, finding meaning, and so much more. And we're constantly adding and going to be adding more and more new bonus conversations and other rants over at that Patreon page on a constant, regular basis. And we really are going to make this the place to go to for you guys who want to get that extra bit more from the podcast. And we really just want to make it the place where you can go and gain a bigger insight into who we are as people. And in the process, we can also share with you loads of other extra bonus content. So if this does tickle your fancy, all you need to do is go to the Ascend podcast website and hit the subscribe button. And also in the description of this episode, there is also a link that you can go to. Or alternatively, you can also go to www.patreon slash ascend and choose any amount that you want to support the podcast. And you will gain access to that bonus content and that Patreon page. And if you cannot support the podcast, that is also absolutely fine. We understand and we just really appreciate the fact that you're listening to this thing. So anyway, without further ado, Tom Lerner, enjoy. Anyway, Tom, um, so you are some. We're really looking forward to this, by the way. And you are somebody who has sort of spent sort a sort of you. Sorry, you are somebody who's went sort of deep into the world of sort of psychology, uh, dreams, and magic as well. And to me, anyway, that definitely screams to me that you are somebody with sort of a very interesting mind. I mean, so with that being said, as well, I mean, and you having a sort of a keen interest in these sort of three different fascinating areas of psychology, dreams, and magic. I mean, do you think there's sort of a, a crossover in terms of these three worlds? And I was actually maybe thinking as well, is that maybe why you sort of were drawn to these different these three different areas in your life? People, um, I, I've been a performing sleight of hand magician for 45 years and a psychologist for 45 years and a professor of psychology, all three running together. And whenever people um, hear that I'm a magician and a psychologist, they often say, oh, those two things go together. Uh, but they kind of mean it almost as a joke sometimes, you know, that that I I think that it's more um, a light kind of comment, but I don't think it's, I think there is um, a profound uh, connection between, between the two of them. And, and I think, I think magic um, 
both whenever I use the word magic, you know, I I have to in my mind distinguish between kind of sleight of hand sort of stage magic and then the other kind of magic, the real magic. And somehow the magic that um that ceremonial magic or um I think it has a lot to do with the way in which the psyche really works. And one example of that would be um, my main teacher, my main psychology teacher, um, who inspires me the most is the psychology of Carl Jung. And and Jung had uh, an amazing interest in in magic. Um, he wore a ring on his hand with a big uh, image of uh, of Hermes, um, you know, the great Greek trickster and uh, um, magician, um, also known, you know, by his his Roman name, Mercury or Mercurius. Um, but when I think of magic and psychology and Jung, I think of those amazing kind of connections that happen in our life um, that he called synchronicity, right? And how these the, how these events somehow reveal that there are deep connections in the world that are invisible. And, and to me, those deep connections are really what magic is about. Um, so in, in that way, I think psych psyche and magic and dreams um are very much connected yeah i love what a beautiful answer starting point by the way as well there tom as well and as well when you were saying there about before about how these uh, deep connections are sort of you were talking about carl jung and people like that uh, you said how they were like sort of maybe understandable that there was these sort of invisible sort of um what was the word you used again you you said invisible connections invisible or... connections yeah you said invisible connections and i thought that was a beautiful way to put it i mean do you think in terms of magic as well do you think that's what some of the the best magicians in the world understand that they are sort of maybe they are on some sort of intuitive le- level they are sort of trying to actually connect with them sort of invisible sort of pathways or whatever you want to call them well i i think um even if i'm performing like all summer i performed every wednesday night in a really wonderful resort where I've been performing for 10 years over in the Adirondack Mountains in upstate New York. And um, I think that what makes a great performance and a great performer is, is not so much the tricks, you know, but the way in which a connection, to use that word again, with the audience around magic kind of awakens their imagination that the impossible may be possible. And I think that that's what a really good sleight of hand magician does and where sleight of hand magic and what we might call natural magic, if we want to call it that, um, come together. You know, that uh, this summer... I don't know. I'm just going to say this. This summer, a family that I've known for um, the entire time I've been going to this resort, they have three uh, young children, and one is a a young girl about 
13 or 14. And she's been going through a very, very difficult year of depression to the point of suicidal thoughts and uh, wasn't able to go to school. And she came up and helped me during one of the magic tricks. And I took a card and I tore it um, almost in half. And she she did the second half of the tear. I started it and she tore it off. And I held that card up and it was broken. And I took the piece that she had torn off and I vanished it. And then I had her touch the card and I brought the card out of my hand and it was completely healed back together again. And yet there was some like a rough place where the piece that was broken had been healed back. And I said, it's not perfect. It's got scar tissue on it. But as the great writer Ernest Hemingway said, the world breaks us all, but some of us end up stronger in the broken places. And I handed her the card and she went back and sat down and she just started weeping um, after the show. And she came up to me and she said, that was so moving and powerful for me that you think that, I, and I know what you were saying, that you know I went through a very, very hard time this year and yet maybe I'll be stronger because of it. And it was a place where my magic and my psychology and love for her and her family, and yet the entire audience just saw it as a magic trick. And yet with her, uh, it was really some other deeper kind of magic. Wow, that is absolutely powerful, that time, it really was. Um, and Tom, like it, it's just like stuff like that. I mean, I love magic. I think it's fascinating. I think the power of tricks is incredible. I, I love Dynamo as well. I love watching that. That's that's amazing. And but uh -huh. him himself. Uh, before I see my point, I'm just gonna say this: uh, Dynamo himself. When I'm watching him, I really get this like this emphasis. Like he's not he's not part of this world. Yeah, I always feel like this like this mystic like illusion that he's not from here. And it's it's like maybe that's just the image he's going for, which makes his tricks more outstanding. And the imagery is incredible. And that might be a good point to lead on, but I was just thinking here, like um, like the power of the tricks themselves, what it does to me, in my mind, it's like a person could come to a magic show completely with a, a well-constructed belief in their own mind of like their own reality, and then it, it could just shatter an illusion and everything around them could change. And that's the power like magic. And it's uh, how have you actually impacted people's minds in, in sort of that sense? Well, I think um, I'm a great believer in just like the example I just gave with that young woman, in communicating in a direct kind of way with the, uh, let's call it the unconscious part of the person. Um, so I think that magic on some level is filled with, I think, the fundamental archetype, to use a good Jungian word, of, of our life here is the archetype of death 
and rebirth, and that our life constantly goes through passages of death and rebirth. Some people call it reinventing themselves. Some people say, I went through a really difficult passage in my life and came out the other side, you know, having learned a lot. And I think magic is filled with images of death and rebirth. I take just an ordinary piece of rope and I cut it in half and it's in two pieces. And then I put it back in my hand and rub it and maybe say some magic word and it's back together again. Or I take a piece of paper and I tear it up and put it in my hand or eat it and then pull out of my mouth some 45-foot rainbow streamer of, of color. Um, I, I just think that uh, that's where, again, psychology and healing and magic uh, come together. Does that make any sense? Yeah, yeah, it was a beautiful. Yeah. That was an absolute beautiful point, by the way, Tom. As well, it really does. And before, as well, just to jump back on a point as well. And you were slightly coming back into it there again, but you were talking about how um, psychology and magic overlaps, and that are completely right. I think it, I think it completely does overlap as well. And I was actually thinking as well, just to tie it in as well. I was, I was actually going to ask you the question. I mean, I mean, with that tie over as well, you're obviously going to sort of naturally sort of have, have that innate sort of ability to, to to sort of go over to go over to magic. But like as I know as well, obviously, sort of you were sort of more sort of you weren't as weren't as much doing magic to the sense that you are now with traveling the world and things like that and i know as well it used to sort of be um it used to be sort of a uni- uh, university college professor i think you, i think it was i read somewhere you said for 35 years and it's what's interesting to me now is that you're sort of traveling all over the world performing magic i mean what was actually the i would love to just know like in your mind what was that sort of moment that made you sort of change your path and sort of go more directly into magic i was Uh, On my way, this was 2001 uh, in the fall. I was on my way to actually uh, a a retreat that was being conducted by this Buddhist teacher. And it was being held actually inside the concentration camp at Auschwitz-Birkenau outside of Krakow, Poland. And we spent a week inside the camp meditating. And I I can talk about that if you want to. But on the way, I, I, um, I was planning this trip to, um, to, um, Krakow, to, to the Buddhist retreat. And I was sitting, this is an example of an amazing um, instance of synchronicity, of where the world somehow was truly alive and conspired in my favor. I'm, I'm sitting here. I, I had realized I was going to be going to Poland. I had two weeks. I was going to spend a week at the retreat, and I had a week beforehand. And so I was going to be in that part of the world So I thought I would go to someplace really beautiful and uh, historic and wonderful before I went and did this really, you know, what I was imagining was going to be a really difficult and demanding, emotionally disruptive, um, rich, spiritual, who knows, experience that I was going to have at Auschwitz. So I was sitting 
and I put a compass, um, a mechanical compass, onto um, Auschwitz, and uh, I tracked a, a circle 200 miles from from Auschwitz, and so I was going to find some place within that radius of 200 miles. And I was listening to the evening news. And just as my compass passed through Pristina, the capital of Kosovo, the man on the radio was talking about the refugees in Kosovo, just as my compass went through the territory of Kosovo. And being a somebody who's sensitive to these kind of synchronicities, I took that seriously. So I um, had been thinking about doing magic on this trip. And so I contacted somebody who knew someone who had just been in Kosovo. And they uh, they said, I, I contacted them and I said, do you know somebody, could you give me the contact information for that person who was just in Kosovo? I'd like to see if I could do some performances in the refugee camps. I was just listening to a radio program about the refugees there. So she gave me the name of this woman who had just spent a couple of months in Kosovo and had just returned. And I wrote to her. And she wrote me back this incredibly negative uh, email saying, don't go to Kosovo. You think you're doing something good. You're just creating more work for people who are already overworked and understaffed. And they're just flooded and uh, overwhelmed with refugees. And uh, it's not a good idea. But if you do insist on going to Kosovo, do a magic show for the people who run the refugee camps. So, so um, I went, oh, so I contacted someone else, actually a woman who was organizing this Buddhist retreat in Poland. And I wrote to her, her name was Ginny. And I said, Ginny, you've been going to that part of the world for a long time. Do you know anybody in Macedonia or Kosovo or one of the uh, former countries of Yugoslavia, and she said, I have a really good friend who lives in Skopje uh, named Maria Totorova. And so she gave me Maria's address. And so I emailed her. And within an hour, she wrote me back. And she said, it's very strange that you should write me. We were just talking about magic and magicians at work today. And my best friend is the UN High Commissioner for Refugees in the Balkans. And I will contact him and set up shows for you. And I went, oh my goodness. So I started looking at Macedonia and Kosovo. And I found out that there was a lake not far from Skopje in southern Macedonia. And around this lake, Lake Okrid, there were 200 ancient monastic sites where there had been monasteries. So it was really some kind of sacred place. And I lived in a monastery for seven years. So I'm really interested in these kind of places. So I wrote back to Maria and I asked her, I said, um, will any of these shows be in Southern 
Macedonia or would I be able to get down to uh, Oak Ridge? And I didn't hear back from her. So I, because it was very close to my departure date. So I landed in Skopje. She met me at the airport. We went into um, into town, into downtown Skopje. And we were in a cafe, which was right across the street from a monument commemorating the birthplace of Mother Teresa. And we were talking and um, I said, what about Oak Ridge? And she said, well, your schedule's very tight. If you want to go there, you're going to have to go this afternoon. And I had been up for 36 hours. And so I, I said, oh, well, okay, I'll go. And she said, well, you're going to have to travel through uh, the buses, a uh, six-hour bus ride. And I said, well, I can sleep on the bus then. She said, okay. She said, but the bus goes through Totova and Gustavar, and there's been fighting in those two towns uh, recently, but it's been quiet the last few days. I said, okay, well, that sounds, um, that sounds okay. So she said, I'm really happy you want to do this because all the people, now remember that negative email I got from that woman, Paula, and um, who said, if you go to uh, Kosovo or Macedonia, do a show for the people who run the refugee camps. So Maria says to me, oh, I'm so happy you want to go to Okrid because all the people who are running the refugee camps are having a retreat this weekend in Okrid. And they said they would put you up and feed you in exchange for a magic show. So I thought, there's some angels or somebody organizing this trip. And then I can tell you what happened the next day when I went to my first refugee camp and the idea for Magicians Without Borders was born. But that's um, a little example of, of how it seems like this undertaking of Magicians Without Borders that brought together for me these three paths of being a psychologist, being a magician, and being a teacher uh, all came together uh, 16 years ago um, in, in Kosovo. Uh, I didn't know it at the time. I didn't know it for a few months after I got home, and I realized something profound had happened. And then I told my chairman of my psychology department that I wanted to take a year leave of absence and start Magicians Without Borders. And uh, that year leave of absence has now gone on for um, 16 years. Wow. <laughs> Congrats. Congrats. That's, that's incredible, Tom. So, so anyhow, uh, there's a lot of amazing stories that happened there in Kosovo that inspired me to um, – to start Magicians Without Borders that yeah. we can talk about or anything you want to talk about. Well, some of something actually that's on my mind and um, it's a, it's been um, something I've studied like most of my life and I've been really passionate about like like World War Two and like history and especially with Auschwitz and like when you said you meditated in Auschwitz, li literally my mind just got blown into about four different series of questions which, I'll, which I've got down here. I mean like what was it like the experience there in Auschwitz, like when it, when you were meditating, like 
what was the energy like in your body? Like, what was that feeling like? Well, it's it was. I actually ended up going back three years later. So I did that retreat, that week long retreat, um, twice. Uh, and I I have to say, and this always strikes. Yeah. I'll, well, I'll just tell you first of all how we spent our day, and what we did was, um, if you can visualize that iconic archway through which the trains came to the selection site uh, at at Auschwitz, um, and people would get out and you know they would be told to go left or right to live or die. And uh, we sat on the selection site six hours a day. It was in November in Poland. So it was, it was definitely um, cold. Uh, it wasn't unbearable, but it was, you know, had to be dressed really well. And we, we were sitting there and there were about 75 of us. It was not a big group, but it was a big enough group to have have energy but small enough so that you could pretty much see everybody and we sat there and four people sat in the center there was a smaller center circle and in the center of them was a box with all of the records that the nazis kept of the people that they killed at at auschwitz which is kind of an extraordinary thing that they kept such exact exact records um and while we were sitting meditating the four people took turns simply reading off the names of the people who died there and i can remember when it was my turn um it was really um very horrific and and terrible um I had a page and almost every name on the page was Rabinowitz. So it was Joshua Rabinowitz, Deborah Rabinowitz, Abraham Rabinowitz, Chaim Rabinowitz. And it just went on and on and on like that entire family or probably most of them had been liquidated and as you know by the nazis and there were pages and pages like that and and then in the evening we might um uh gather in the barracks where we slept um with a survivor who told stories or an artist who had painted his or her experiences while they were there. Um, and I have to say that Auschwitz was the most spiritual place I've ever been wow. in my life. And I don't, I don't know exactly why that is. I mean, first of all, it's the largest cemetery in the world. There's ashes of a million and a half people in the two little ponds outside the crematorium. But for me, and I wrote this in my journal during the retreat, 
I said, it's always December 21st at Auschwitz. It's always the darkest day of the year. And yet, even on that day, there's light. And there was a light, and that's the light that can never be extinguished. And God knows the Nazis tried to extinguish it. But the light that's at Auschwitz is the light that even the Nazis couldn't extinguish. And, uh, and, and in that sense, the light that you feel there is the light, is the inextinguishable light. So that's one, one response to your question. Was that Dan? Uh, oh, Chris. Chris, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I was just saying, like, when you were meditating, did you actually feel that, like, that light, that emotion, like, go through you? Yeah, what, Tom, what was actually going through your mind when you were, like, meditating? What sort of things were you thinking of? Because our listeners would love to know that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> well, let me, let me just tell you one example of, um, well, let me try to, I mean, when you're meditating, you're trying not to have anything go through your mind in some way, yeah, but just to be fully present to the experience. And um, I certainly um, felt, you know, a, an entire range of of emotions from uh, the kind of heroism that the inmates at Auschwitz um, exhibited and the, uh, the love that they had for their fellow prisoners and what they did for each other. And, you know, the horror that, that was there with the commandant like Himmler and um, that they, it just, there was rage that I felt. I felt um, just immense sadness. I felt a kind of profound, um, I can't say connection with those people because I can't even imagine what they went through. I can't in any way somehow think I understand what what those people went through. Uh, but, a, but a connection with the worst and the best of humanity and the worst and the best parts of myself. I think Auschwitz just un unveiled those and revealed those to me, if, if, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Thank Tom, you for sharing that. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I love that insight in your mind there as well. It's beautiful by the way as well. And uh, before as well, just to jump back a bit as well, because um, when you were uh, talking before about the story before about how you, um, talking about how this you you said the word synchronicities that uh, sort of sort of give you them sort give you that sort of nudge and sort of change your course in your life to sort of yeah. uh, sort of delve more into uh, being a magician i mean it's very interesting to me because when you were saying that to me um it's very interesting to me because i think in life when i was thinking about that i think we all sort of in a, some sort of sense we all sort of experience those sort of turning points in our lives and i think as well i think it, it's very interesting to me because the universe works in so so many mysterious so, so many mysterious words and i know many people sort of like the like obviously the, the the word universe obviously alone it sort of has so many different sort of meanings and it's sort of and uniqueness to it's unique to everyone in a sense i mean i mean whatever you want to call it you know what i mean i mean and um, yeah for me anyway i mean 
when I, in life and when I'm looking at my life now, it seems to be there's always sort of some sort of foundation be, sort of behind the behind the universe and sort of it always seems to be the universe in some sort of it's hard to put this in words, but the universe in some sort of sense, it always seems to be so, sort of supporting you and and sort of it, I think it's all just about depends on how sort of we actually are, we are sort of perceiving them sort of nudges that the universe has given us. And I know in my life as well, it seems to be that um, I mean over the last few years of my life. I'm sort of noticing them nudges more and more, and I think, to a sense, to a certain degree, I think when you when you start opening up sort of pathways in your mind to sort of a, a higher intelligence or higher universe, whatever you want to call it, I think that's when these little nudges that have been coming for coming to you all your life, you start seeing them more and more. And I think, and um, and just to give you a little bit of a story as well, an interesting story, I had actually one of these um, because I like to play off that. I like to play off that sort of sense that the universe is trying to help us in my life. And uh, it was a, it was yesterday actually. My car, uh, my van broke down, and um, I just says to myself, like, my old self would have said, like, oh, come on, like, the universe is just is the universe is against us at all odds here. Yeah. But like, but my new, my new sort of self now just said. Straight away, I said, "Oh, I would if I if my car didn't break down, I would have died." <laughs> uh-huh. So I think I think is I think there's sense. I mean, I think the the universe is sort of is trying to communicate with us and sort of trying to communicate in trying to communicate with us and give us these nudges. But I think it's 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 up to you to sort of t- to choose whether you want to listen to it or not. I I think that's absolutely true. You know, I uh, I was reminded of of Albert Schweitzer, the great humanitarian doctor who started those hospitals in Africa. Uh, He used to say there's only one question, one great philosophical question, and that is, is the universe friendly? And I I think in my experience, uh, the universe really does support me. But I think what you said uh, is that we have to be open to that. And and I think maybe as we start looking back on our life, like you said, I think the older we get, we start maybe seeing it more, being open to it. I think if we start looking back at our life and seeing that, you know, maybe there was something else at work here, that I wasn't running the show completely, you know, that there, that there may have been some, what the, the ancient Romans um, called your daimon, you know, this uh, tutelary spirit that accompanied us through life. I was raised uh, and still uh, practicing Roman Catholic, you know, and we used to, call, I used to, um, you know, I was raised believing that I had a guarding angel who, who protected me, you know, who broke my car down rather than me going off the road and killing myself, you know, that there is some whatever we call it, uh, the genie or the tutelary spirit or the guarding angel or the daimon or whatever this is that uh, keeps us on. I, I really believe that we came here to live a particular story, you know, that I came here with a purpose. And when I don't live that purpose, uh, I get sick. No, um, and Carl Jung had the best definition, I think, uh, in one of his interviews of neurosis. He said, "Neurosis is living someone else's story," and I just don't think it gets any better than that. I mean, I know when I'm not being true to myself. 
and and I know that's not a very scientifically popular idea that we have some purpose in life, um, but it certainly has been true in my life. And just to bring it back to dreams, I think dreams are one of the ways in which the universe speaks to us. I mean, I've been keeping track of my dreams for 45 years, and I truly believe that there's some source inside of me that knows more about me than I know about myself, you know, and that it it presents these amazing mythopoetic, uh, you know, gifts every night, you know, and uh, it's amazing. Anyhow, that, that's... Yeah. yeah. By the way, I love that point. And, mm. and me and Chris were just seeing each other there um, straight away. Yes, we're gonna get we're gonna get Tom back on to talk about dreams as well. <laughs> That's <laughs> really, okay. It, we, we could we could have another podcast. Oh yeah, we definitely we definitely because straight away when you, straight away just a slight just a slightly touch on it, not to go too deep. But um, we'll have to, we'll leave that for another podcast. But when you were talking about how um you were saying about how how dreams are also the bridge to sort of them sort of the universe tr- trying to talk you and guide you and things like that i mean i'm someone and chris is someone who's had a lot of interesting dreams like that that we feel that are sort of trying to give us a message and sort of nudge us on the path so next time we come on the podcast we'll definitely go there as well but just uh, something else i wanted to say as well before as well i mean when we when we were talking about sort of um tuning to sort of that higher call in our voice or whatever you want to call it i mean i would love to know just your general thoughts i mean how have you how have you sort of cultivated that i mean how have you sort of learn to sort of tap in and, and listen to that voice is there any things that you do in your life to sort of open up open up your mind to them possibilities or through, even through your whole journey of life even well uh one of the things which anybody can do uh and i do it almost as a spiritual practice um i keep uh a journal you know, and i sit down every morning the first thing i do before i do almost anything else is um, make a cup of coffee and sit down and write three pages, you know, whether I feel like it or not. And it doesn't have to be, it's not good writing. I'm not trying to create art or, you know, good prose or anything. I'm just listening to that, what the Buddhists call that still small voice inside and I'm just writing it down and if in the middle of a sentence something else comes I'll just start a new sentence you know Uh, because it's not about the content it's about really listening to what's going on inside of me and it's basically meditating you know on a as a meditative journal writing and and I also my dreams will show up there and then I'll put those, I write those in a different way in my regular journal. But I have this three page um, morning pages and, and I learned it from a woman named Julia Cameron in a book called The Artist's Way and she recommends this morning pages of just, and that's a very concrete way that I stay in touch with that that voice inside of me that's trying to keep me, as you might say, on the path of my life. You know, that's a that's one concrete way that I do that. And then I go out for a three-mile walk, which I find, um, and the more I read about 
different people I admire, I often find out that they, uh, like um, the philosopher Soren Kierkegaard, who was very important to me earlier in my life, he said, no good thought or every best thought that ever came to me came to me while I was walking. And there's something about the body and when you're out there walking, and I live in a very beautiful, natural place, but I love walking in cities as well. Uh, and I do that. I've done that every morning since I was 12 years old. I had a morning newspaper route, and I had to get up at six o'clock and deliver the morning newspaper. And I just fell in love with that time that Carlos Castaneda and others have called you know, one of those power times, one of those cracks, and that one between night and day, that twilight, or which really means two light. It's the light of the darkness and the light of the day. When that, that's a very powerful time. You know, so I also, that's also part of my, what you might call practice. Yes. By the way, beautiful Tom. By the way, some very, very wise words there. By the way, as well, mm. and I really resonate with loads of that as well. And you, when you were talking about before about, you said the word. There's something about the body that sort of just brings these moments to sort of reality. And it's very interesting because when I'm, even when I'm doing, I've no, I really resonate with that statement because even when I'm doing my yoga and things like that in the morning, um, I like have a very strict routine in my mind where I always do me uh, do yoga every single morning without fail, no matter what, and um one of the big reasons it's it, one of the big reasons obviously for the health benefits as well but like that what you were trying to get uh, trying to put across before there it's like the body the body sort of provides these moments uh, for the mind and and to me to a sense as well it seems to be that the body is sort of the body like just like the ancient sort of yogis talked about that the body is sort of this the bridge to sort of the human psyche that do you, yeah. do, you do you feel that yeah a a absolutely um Jung has this amazing um, statement in, in, in one of his books. He says, at bottom, psyche is carbon. That the human being is carbon dreaming, which is just a wild statement. You know, that, that the psyche and the body or the psyche and carbon, remember on... Uh, Star Trek, um, oh, what's his name? Spock. Yeah, yeah. He yeah, would, yeah. he would, when they would land someplace and he'd say, there are no carbon based entities here. <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. Um, that the, that the psyche is, I mean, the, there's something about this Goldilocks place that we live in called the earth where it's not too hot and not too cold and this amazing thing came about however you know however it happened and you know um and that that it's the body and, and i don't really separate the mind and the body even though i think um the mind and the body or the psyche or consciousness i've just had experiences in my life where my body was asleep in british columbia and I was present to what was happening on the East Coast of the United States. Um, and it was collaborated, you know. And so I know that we can travel around and there's a lot of mysterious things um, in abilities. 
of consciousness. But um, I think it was Meister Eckhart, the great German mystic, who, who said, if we could have known God without a body, we wouldn't have had bodies to begin with. Um, I don't know what he meant by that, but to me it means the body is really sacred and it 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 connects us with with the deeper and higher worlds. Uh, anyhow, there's so much to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> oh yes, oh, we just, we're just sitting back there in, in absolute order to listen to some of your wise words because honestly, some of the stuff there was just ringing so true in our minds. There was all the stuff that you were touching on there, and a point as well I want to try and draw on as well. I mean, when we were before, they're just talking about how the sort of the, the connection between the body and the mind. I mean, and just to bring it back into sort of magic as well. I mean, I mean, do you to a sense? I mean, do you think? Because to me, anyway, what I'm seeing with magic, I mean, magic to me is sort of the bridge between the body and the mind. I mean, because you sort of you need the sort of the physical experience of the magician himself to sort of use the sort of the nuances or whatever you want to call it. And, but you also need the mind of the magician, but you also need the mind of the person. I mean, do you think, in a sense, I mean, that maybe magic is a sort of maybe an ultimate form to connect to that? Just like for me, yoga is my ultimate form to connect to. Would you say that maybe? Like a magi- uh, magic for you, maybe is that sort of the bridge to sort of maybe your inner child? Uh, I'm sorry, the bridge to my inner child? Yeah. Oh, a- a- absolutely. That for sure. I mean, it keeps that that sense of wonderment and surprise and belief in the impossible. Um I was just I was just with my uh, my three and a half year old granddaughter for four hours yesterday, and it's almost a full moon in this part of the world. And um, she she saw the moon, and she said, "I make the moon light up," and she was like some great wizard. It was like that magical thinking of hers is that uh, as a lot of indigenous people believe the sun won't rise unless we're there to witness it, unless we get up early in the morning, like the Maasai on the Serengeti, they go out there in the morning and they stand there like these great herons with their tall staff and their red cloak and they wait for the sun to come up so they can say hello to the sun. And they really believe that the sun won't rise unless they're there. And of course, we know scientifically that's not true. I mean, the sun is not is going to rise anyhow, but it's not going to rise for that person. And the sun only rises for that person who's awake. And there's a deeper truth that uh, has nothing to do with scientific facts that the Messiah are talking about or that my granddaughter was talking about. Like the moon appeared because she saw it. Uh, there's something very profound there, you know. I mean, if, if, if some, she's not, you know, psychotic or crazy, you know, um, she's, She's just connected in some deep way still as young beings are, I think. And she doesn't feel so separate from the world as as I do. And I try to heal that separation through walking and being present and 
whatever. Does that is that is that something like you were thinking? Yeah, yeah, definitely one one million percent. That was a yeah beautiful point, and I resonate with that because I've noticed that in the child, like you you said, they used uh, the the example of your granddaughter. I think you said, but it's very interesting how even when you just even for me as well, when you just sort of you just walk down a street and you see like children playing in the street or climbing trees or whatever it is, they seem to be so much connected to that to that truth to the real truth of what's actually going on in the world and it's hard to explain you can't i can't really put it in words what that truth is but like you said it's more of a feeling and i think and for me like i resonate with you when you said that you go for walks and things like that and i also resonate with that and i find that truth when i when i when i go into nature and i sort of explore the woods or and i also as well find that truth as well which might be a bit different i actually find that truth when i sort of Go out, go out on my mountain bike and I just like hit the trails as fast as I can and go down the mountain bikes and I find that that truth or stillness or whatever you want to call it like I said it's hard to describe that but yeah it was a beautiful point and I resonated with it anyway yeah that's that's um I when you were just talking I was thinking it's probably because um my little three and a half year old granddaughter she isn't uh thinking a lot about what's coming next or where she just was, you know, she's just where she is. Yeah. And I think when you're probably mountain biking or doing yoga or, um, when I'm walking, I try to be where I am, which is, uh, it sounds really easy, but our mind, uh, can take us away, you know, so quickly. Yeah. It's, it sounds like itself. It's like, it's a meditative experience. Like even when the, the child itself, um, when she's going through like these moments in her life, it's like she's living all of her life in this meditative experience in the present moment, constantly just focusing on the present moment, which is in itself so beautiful. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And before as well, Tom, as well, just jump in as well before, I mean, when you were talking about how, like it, what we were talking about there, I mean, just to, to sort of try and tie back magic as well. Um, it's very interesting because when you were talking about the mind there, I w- it was a question actually I had in my mind that I want to ask you. I mean, do you, what what do you actually think sort of um, magic can sort of actually sort of teach us about the mind? Uh, well, one thing in a, in a, just to relate to what we were just talking about is most people, um, it's very easy to fool people <laughs> because yeah. they don't, pay attention um and and their ten- attention can be so easily distracted you know and uh it's very hard to uh it's hard to fool a dog you know like if i put something in my hand and i point to it um as if it's in that hand they're going to look at the hand that's pointing you know because that's that's where the object still is and i don't know whether they can smell it or they know it hasn't moved, or I, I don't know. It's very hard to f- do magic for animals. Yeah, it's like, it's like what um, like Bruce Lee says as well. Don't he says, "Don't concentrate only on the finger, or you'll miss all that heavenly glory." And that's what, sort yeah. Of, yeah, that's what he says. <laughs> <laughs> that I think, I think that's one thing that um, that magic teaches us uh, a kind of negative thing. You know that we are are attention and our concentration and our focus is so easily 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 distracted um and that's what magicians do all the time you know um what we call misdirection or um but the other thing that it does i think is 
that it just, as I was saying before, even in grown-ups who are willing to suspend their disbelief or their their kind of rational critical consciousness and just enjoy being fooled, you know? I mean, as a magician myself, I love being fooled. And if a magician does something that fools me, yeah, there's some small part of me that wants to know how they did it. But I I really, more of me is just delighted that as much as I know after 45 years of studying and practicing and performing magic, um, I still can feel that wonderment of, of a child being, oh, how did, oh my, how did he do that? Or that's amazing, or that's wonderful, or... Uh, I still love that, you know, and I think that if I ever lose that, I think I'll stop doing magic shows because um, I, I think that's that's really what we're communicating, uh, hopefully to the audience, some sense of our own wonderment at the world. Uh, so how is that does that respond to what you were thinking? Yeah, t- Tom, I was just thinking like that. um that whole completely like what you said right at the end there when you're seeing about if you ever lose that sense of wonder then that you think that'll be it and it'll be game over and I think I know Dan wants to touch on a bit on about the fool in the audience type of thing but I just want to reach on to that last point there because I think it was absolutely beautiful what you said and I think we should all keep in touch with that sense of wonder about life and I think that's that's a beautiful point that you actually indicated there. Yeah, I, lo- I loved it, Tom, as well. And just, like, I love the word I wrote down as well. He said, just enjoy being fooled. And that's, yeah, just, that's, that's, it, that's exactly what uh, that's just exactly what Chris was saying. I think it's beautiful as well. Uh, but before as well, just touch on a point you said as well, because you were talking about, um, I had it in my mind, you were talking about uh, human perception. And you were talking about how every single, um, like, sort of how every single person in the world is sort of, Sort of, this is what I sort of got from you anyway. That sort of, that's confident sort of that the the world that we sort of see is true. And I think us as humans, I mean, when I think about it, we sort of have a even view it, even view in my own mind or sense as well. We sort of have a tendency to sort of over over sort of estimate. I would say our our memory and we sort of underestimate how easily sort of we can be sort of influenced by others. And I think people you'll get you'll get like a lot of people sort of saying like, oh, you can't fool me and things like that with um with adverts and things like that but when I think about that I mean the subconscious mind it's a very sort of tricky thing and I, th- I do, honestly don't think that nobody in the world fully understands the full full extent of human perception yeah I, as you were talking I think I realized something that uh, I don't know whether I've ever really formulated it like this to myself is I don't think I'm interested in fooling people. You know, I, 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 that's not why I do magic, like yeah. to fool them. You know, I do the, I do magic so that I can awaken that child in them or that sense of wonderment. Yeah. It's yeah. and surprise and, oh, where did it go? You know, yeah. um, not how did he do it, but where did it go? You know, I'm much more interested in them saying, that's interesting. I've never said it like that before. Where did it go? Not how did he do it? You know, I, I, I wish people wouldn't have that thought. How did they do? How did he do it? Yeah. I wish they could just stay with the, oh, where did it go? Or how did it disappear? Or like that. If that's, 
that's more what I'm interested in evoking in my audience than I'm a really cool dude and I can make things, I can do things you can't do or I can fool you. Um, Cause that's a, that's a kind of a hostile sort of thing in some ways. Yeah. Uh, yeah, from one perspective. I was in a, I was in someone uh, when, when, <clears throat> oh, I, I've been performing in Sudanese refugee camps and a lot of the folks we were performing for actually believe in magic, you know, for healing and hurting people. Um, and they really believe magic's real. And um, so what we have to let them know in some way is that this isn't real magic. So what we would do is we would go into the tukul, into the hut, of the elders, and I would, my wife and I, uh, we would show these elders who were going to introduce us to to the uh, rest of the people, to the refugees. Um, we'd show them some magic, and then we would expose the trick, like how it was done. And um, I remember, and then they would come up with some way to introduce us without using the word magic because we didn't want people to think we were going to turn them into a goat or we were going to do something. And it was, it was awful when at the end of a show, someone would bring their blind mother up to me after the show and want me to heal them. Oh, that was, that was a very difficult thing to, um, to respond to because they had just seen all these impossible, amazing things. Certainly I could heal her mom's blindness, but I remember this one elder. So they would come up with ways. Uh, these are eye puzzles or this is just for fun. These are eye puzzles for fun and things like that. to try to avoid using the word magic. But I remember one elder saying to me, why would you want to lie to people? Yeah. Like he reduced doing magic because I would pretend to put a ball in one hand but retain it in my other hand and I'd open it and I'd show the guy it was still in my other hand even though he thought I had put it in this in my left hand. And then finally he looked at me and he said, why do you want to lie to people? <laughs> and it was like an indictment, or I think it was what I was saying before, is that I don't want so much to fool people as have them have a sense of amazement or wonder or delight, you know, if that makes sense, yeah. Yeah, I love, I love, I love that, by the way, as well. And uh, it's very interesting because a lot of people actually, would, to resonate with that, a lot of people actually talk about how the tricks the tricks work because the sort of the magician actually knows on a sort of like an intuitive level how people actually look at the world and I was and from that as well a question I was actually thinking as well I mean do you actually I mean when you do do magician are you actually coming from the perspective where you're actually sort of trying to sort of more not like you said you're not trying to fool people but you're actually trying to maybe just open up people's minds to new possibilities and maybe open up people's minds to to new maps of reality sort of say well what the very after I did that show for the folks in the um, who ran the refugee camps there in Macedonia and Kosovo, 
that I was taken to my first refugee camp that next day. It was called Momen Potok, and it was on the border of Kosovo and Macedonia, and it was primarily Roma people. It was a small camp, maybe only 2,000 people or so, and we went into the camp, and as I was being driven into the camp, by this man from the UN High Commission for Refugees. He said, I'm going to take you over and introduce you to um, someone who's going to be your guide here in Momen Potok. And her name is Fatima. And she's only six years old. And uh, I went, whoa. And she, he said, she knows almost everybody in the camp. And everybody knows Fatima. They even refer to her as the mayor of Momen Potok. So we go over to this little hovel of a house and rattle this piece of corrugated metal that was acting as a door. And this beautiful six-year-old, big brown-eyed Roma face uh, comes around the corner. And she was with me all day when uh, I was doing shows. I think we did three or four shows in that camp. And it was getting time to go. And Fatima was standing beside me, and she was just a really bright little kid. Like if I needed anything, a table, which can be hard to find in a refugee camp, or a volunteer, which was easy because she knew everybody, and uh, or a glass of clean water, uh, bottled water or something. She, was, she just knew, even though she did not speak a word of English, and I didn't speak a word of Roma, or Serbo-Croatian. So at the end of the day, she's standing beside me. I'm talking to a couple of Roma women, and then I turn to say goodbye to Fatima, and she's not there. And I said to the Roma women, I said, where where is Fatima? And they said, oh, I thought she was with you. And I said, no, she's gone, and I feel badly. I'm not going to get to say goodbye to her. And they said, well, we'll say goodbye to her. I said, well, thank you. So I pick up my magic props, my suitcase, and I walk over to the car and I look in the back as I go to open the door. And there's Fatima hiding in the back, lying on the floor, hiding and wanting to escape from the camp. Wow. And the women came over and they talked to her and she was a good Roma kid. She took her best shot. Uh, It didn't work, but she waved us down the road smiling. So we go about 20 minutes, and my driver says, this is the town of Shutka. It's not really a refugee camp, but it's swollen with refugees uh, living with family or on the street or wherever. And because a million and a half refugees poured into Kosovo from mainly Serbia in three months, which is amazing. Um, And the UN High Commission for Refugees responds to that kind of unbelievable, overwhelming um, mass of humanity, where they're going to sleep, go to the bathroom, get water, food, whatever. So he said, but Shutka could really use some magic So we go into the town and we set up uh, some boxes and a tablecloth and I set up my magic props. And within five minutes, seven minutes, there's 350 people all around. And I do the show 
and the show uh, went over well, I think, and uh, people all dispersed except for a handful of Roma men standing on my left. And this old Roma woman comes up to me and she has a big head wrap, wild head wrap and gold teeth and mirrors all over her dress. And she hands me a five dinner Macedonian gold coin and she drops it into my hand and and I somehow knew it wasn't a tip you know she had seen me multiply all kinds of things flowers and sponge balls and all sorts she points to it and she says make more money (laughs) she wanted to see if my magic had any market value so I take the I take the five dinner uh, Macedonian gold coin and put it in my hand and I rub it and squeeze it and I open my hand and there is a big chunk of what appears to be gold. Actually, it was pyrite, fool's gold, but it looked like gold. And I offer it to her and she smiles, mildly amused, and she says, money, more money. So I take I take the piece of uh fool's gold and I put it in my hand, I throw it in my hand, I take some magic dust and I rub it and I open my hand and there is a 50 denner Macedonian gold coin, 10 times what she had given me. I mean, this is still only about, I don't know exactly what the pound's worth right now, a dollar 25 or a dollar 50 or something. It's only like 80, half a pound. You know, like 80 cents, 80 American cents. And so I hand it to her and she is delighted. And I drop it in her hand and she walks away smiling. Instantly, two of these Roma men standing beside me, simultaneously, without rehearsal, they said, make us visas to America. (laughs) And I laughed like you did. And I looked at them and they were stone serious, totally serious. And I looked at them and I thought, oh man, I said, I can't do that trick. I wish I could. You know, they had just seen money multiply tenfold in front of them. Certainly I could pull up a, uh, American visa out of the air. So that night, that night, I'm sitting in a little house. Uh, Actually, I was sleeping on a staircase landing in this tiny little place in Skopje. And I'm writing in my journal. And I was thinking about my first day in a refugee camp. I've been in hundreds of refugee camps over these last 16 years. But this was the very first day I'd ever been in a refugee camp. And I wondered what happened. And I wrote, I learned some two very amazing things today. The first thing, and I had been doing magic for almost 40 years, 35 years at that point. And um, I learned that magic is a universal language. None of those people spoke English. I didn't speak their language, but they all spoke magic. And it was amazing. Magicians make things appear, disappear, and change, no matter whether they're Chinese, Indian, Middle Eastern, European, North American, indigenous, whatever. That's what they do. 
Um, and the second thing I learned was I remembered a quote from a refugee named Eric Weiss. He left Hungary, fleeing the pogroms in against the Jews in Poland in the late 19th century. And he came to New York with his rabbi father and mother and his brother and sister. And we now know that refugee as Harry Houdini. And Houdini once said, he said, when I perform magic, sometimes, especially for poor people or people in difficult situations, I think my magic not only amazes and amuses, but it awakens hope that the impossible is possible. And I, I wrote in my journal, I said, damn, that's what I saw today in Moment Potok. Fatima saw magic and she thought, ah, maybe I can escape from Moment Potok. And she got in the car and hopefully she was going to run away with the circus or the magician. And then those, those Roma men in Shutka, they saw the impossible. They saw money multiply two feet from their eyes tenfold. And they thought, maybe we can go to America and realize our hopes and dreams. It awakened hope in them. And that's the day that the mission of Magicians Without Borders was, was born. That magic not only and I can't even remember what your question was, but this <laughs> yeah. was my answer that magic not only amazes and amuses, but it awakens hope that the impossible might be possible. Yeah, beautiful story as well, by the way. And we love, don't don't worry, because we love we love tangents and because that was an absolute gem there, that story, by the way. Mm. And it came to my mind as well, what I was actually thinking, magic is a, it's such, it's such a beautiful art because for me anyway, it's sort of, I think to, to a certain degree, people actually think the magic is sort of in the hands of the magician, but it actually happens in the person's mind for me. And I think it, it highlights to me that the human mind is capable of creating so much in there. It's it's just truly incredible place anyway. And it's just a time. It's just, it's just what you were saying before that the world is all these amazing things are happening all the time and in, in our, uh, our personal life and in uh, other ways. But we have to be open to it you know and if we're open to it and open to the magic uh, something happens you know in our imagination and it actually made me think as well um tom as well and this is probably is an interesting question i don't know if you've ever thought about this but when we to, just to tie into that that uh, the talking point above what we're talking about when we're talking in terms of talking about how sort of like it's the mind sort of capable of sort of achieving anything and sort of how the mind can be sort of swayed in certain ways and things like that. I mean, just to sort of go back to in, in the past a bit as well, I mean, with, with uh, magic and things like that, I mean, do you think magic in the past uh, may have actually sort of been used to sort of influence the belief of sort of human beings in the past? In, oh, even, I, in, in even, I, even now as well, as well? Oh, I, I think so. I think there's no doubt that... Um, that shamans uh, who would be doing a healing ceremony, you know, they they might. Um, oh, here's an example that they. Um, uh, th there's basically two theories of disease, even for us in some ways, but also especially on, in, in indigenous people and shamanic healers. Either 
something is missing that needs to be inside that we've lost. And that can be called soul loss. And what the shaman has to do is go and retrieve your lost soul and bring it back to you. Or you've been invaded by some kind of foreign uh, body of some sort. And there's something inside of you that shouldn't be there. So there's either something missing or something there that shouldn't be there. So the shaman might take a, a blowpipe or take a hollow reed or just use their mouth and identify it as in, their, in the person's stomach. And they'll bend down and they'll start sucking on that person's stomach and draw out the poison and the toxins in the foreign body that's invaded this person. And they might think of it as witchcraft, they might think of it as whatever, but it has to get out of this person's body. And then they'll vomit into their hands and dump it on a piece of white cloth or maybe uh, some white uh, sheep's wool or something. So it's really vivid, this yucky guck, black, bloody mess that's um, that they've just sucked out of this person's body. Th that might be a magic trick. You know, that they, and we know for certain that shamans would do that. They would spirit something from out of their, their cloak and put it into their hand and spit it out onto the, and the person would look at it and the magician would in, uh, invite their imagination to believe that this came out of them. I think doctors in hospitals still do this by wearing their white coats and and they they create a sense of healing because if healing's going to happen, it's got to happen by the person themselves. The patient is the one. The doctor awakens. This is what Jung would say. The doctor, a good doctor who's not a charlatan, awakens the doctor inside the patient, and that doctor heals the patient. You know, it's not. If if I think I'm the healer, I'm a charlatan. And the same, um, so I think that um, Amazonian shamans might have a rattle that they have holes poked in it. And inside are the seeds and, and they might put crystals and stones and stuff inside there. And they'll shake that rattle and sparks come flying out as those crystals roll around inside there and set fire to the fibers inside their rattle. And fire comes out of those holes. And they'll be chanting and they'll be um, doing this for hours and hours and the sick person is there and they're creating this amazing atmosphere of possibilities and magic and and then they suck something out of the person um, and they're not trying to fool those people they're just trying to as as Don Juan told Carlos Castaneda we're such nincompoops he would say, we have to be tricked into consciousness sometimes, you know. I was thinking, oh, sorry, I was, go just, ahead. I was just going to say it, Thomas. I was just going to say it. Um, I was thinking the same thing in, the, in my own head. Like, um, it's like the illusion of like walking into a hospital and you're seeing people getting healed and you're seeing the doctor and they're the coming towards you and you start to, it's kind of like a, a revelation, like, ah, finally I'm going to get seen to, I'm going to get healed. Yeah, but it's yeah. all, the healing already begins in the mind. 
You know what I mean? So it's kind yeah, of like that we're we're investing that doctor with healing power. Yeah. It times it ties into the placebo effect as well. And and the else. placebo effect is absolutely um yeah, that's what we're talking <laughs> yeah. talking about. And I th- something else uh, that it's oh sorry, go on. Go ahead. No, go ahead, please, please. Oh, right. Um, I was just going to say as well, like not just like the placebo effect today, where we actually perceiving our own, like in in the sense of like going to a hospital, you seeing our perceiving of our healing changing. But back then, nearly like maybe two thousand years ago, like maybe like um, this very this could be a quite controversial, but a lot of people could actually say like how the how magicians could be perceived like magicians of the past being received as godlike and like maybe yeah. using like 2000 year old materials could have like turned water into wine and fed a few hundreds of people a few hundreds of people with um a few loaves and bread and maybe yeah. maybe actually the whole perceiving of like Jesus Christ himself could have been like a magician and I've heard that written down as well yeah uh, if you look in the in the um christian scripture Almost after every single healing that Jesus does, and they say, thank you, thank you. And he says, it's your faith that healed you. You know, he, he does not take credit for those healings. You know? And so I think if that person isn't open to that, if they don't believe, um, it's not going to happen. You know, I, I just don't. I, I, and I. Anyhow, yeah, I think, I think real magicians know um, that the person is the one who heals themselves, and maybe the magician can um, awaken that healer inside of them to to remind them when they've forgotten what kind of power they have inside of them. I think that's what therapists do; is they just remember. They help people remember. They've been dismembered, and now they remember themselves. You know, and the power comes back. You know? yeah. I was actually wondering as well, Tom, as well. Um, I mean, just to sort of tie into that question that Chris asked you as well, I was thinking of it in my mind. I mean, but I was actually wondering, I would love to know, I mean, with you sort of being a, like a magician now, I mean, does would you say that makes you more sort of skeptical to the unexplainable, or does it just make you more sort of, open or does it even actually make you just more observant or analyze things differently i would love to see your general thoughts around that you mean because i know um uh that folks can be fooled and that i know techniques and and that sort of thing sleight of hand techniques that that would make me believe less in magic because of that is that is that what you're asking yeah but but even just even uh, taking a, even a, a bigger sort of perspective from that even to not even just in terms of magic but just in terms of what you sort of saw all through your journey of being even being a psychologist even in dreams as well but to eat just to, to a more sensitive degree even you just being a magician as well i mean i mean for me anyway i mean i'm actually i'm actually thinking i'm just making assumptions but i would actually see through this podcast as well i'm seeing you someone who is very sort of open to sort of the unexplainable and things like that but I'm, i would just love to see your basically your general thoughts around i mean does actually being a magician open you up to the unexplainable more in your mind yeah i i think i i think always as as i said earlier i think we have to you know i would i would make the distinction that what i try to do 
when I'm performing sleight of hand magic is that what I work at doing is transforming a trick into magic. And magic is like what happened, say, with that young girl who was handed back the card that she had just torn in half and it's healed again. And I give it to her and, and say, you know, the world breaks all of us, but some of us are stronger in the healed places. Is that take, that was a trick. That trick, that card didn't come back together again. I, I fooled her in a way, or I fooled her eyes into thinking that, but that wasn't my point. My point was to awaken this sense of wholeness and power that she had gained by passing through this really difficult time in her life and surviving. Um, and that's what I would call turning a trick into magic, if if that's a way of saying it. Yeah, just to, just to add, go a bit deeper as well. I mean, I'll probably try, I'll try and say it a bit like a bit more clearer because obviously it was a bit jumbled, but just in terms of like the previous question I asked as well, because I would love to dig, dig a bit deeper. I mean, and I'll try and see it a different way, but in terms of like... Um, like with you being a magician, I mean, do you think being a magician actually sort of opens up your sort of opens up your mind to see more the like the spiritual aspects of life and the th- things in life that we can't explain? Would you say that being a magician maybe is has added to your sort of mind to open up to open up that pathway to actually to be sort of open to the possibilities of the universe that we don't understand? If that makes sense, <laughs> again, <laughs> yeah. It it um, I'm I'm I, I think I'm totally getting your question, but I'm having a hard time responding to it. And some of it is, uh, and what what I was trying to say just now is that I think as a magician, as a performing sleight of hand magician, I'm always interested in awakening the imagination and the sense of wonderment in my audience. And I think that magic, in order to do that, I think my own sense of wanting the world to be a wonderful place or a place that's constantly surprising me uh, with its miracles of of synchronicity and things happening that can't be explained uh, by cause and effect or ordinary billiard balls on a table kind of cause and effect. Um, so I think as a magician, uh, I I think I might say it it at least the way in which I understand magic, it certainly opens me up to the uh, wonderful possibilities or that there's more to reality than meets the eye, that there's invisible things going on that, that we can't understand and that we just have to accept that there's a whole lot of mystery going on. Yeah, definitely. I agree, Tom, and I think it's, I think it's a clear understanding. Like um, what magic can do is magic can show you the mind. 
in its purest and simplistic form and it shows you how amazing it truly is and I think what um, one of the questions what Dan was indicating and, and like I'm going to try and use the example of like when he was saying like being a magician does it make you more skeptical to like the unexplainable so it's, it's kind of like that what I think Dan was basing on is like your understanding of like the mind and like illusion and like knowing how perception like perceptual it can be to like different things so like maybe like if a guy sees like um, a flying saucer in the sky and he could actually be perceiving like yes I've seen a flying saucer but you could also like see it from a different point of view which might make you more skeptical like your understanding of the mind thinking well you know what you probably have just actually seen a different part of the reality or a different part of the illusion that made made you think that and I think it's that's the power of like the magician itself is because you see things in a different light. You have a, a more clearer knowledge and understanding of the mind and perception to reality. The power is in your mind that you have this knowing. You know how, how powerful and how weak the mind can also be. And I think what's incredible about it is that the mind itself is not only just powerful and weak, but it's essentially the most incredible, amazing thing we ever have. Yeah, I I love that uh, that you said powerful and weak. You know that we're capable, uh, and, and I think being in touch with how easily I can be fooled, um, and not just by magic or by another good magician, but uh, in my own life. You know that I get caught. Uh, in believing things about myself or about another person, or I can be fooled, uh, and, and or I can, you know, think I'm better than than I am, and 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 I start get, getting getting out of touch with the part of me that needs to be humble, you know, um, and open uh, to uh, surprise and possibility episode itself has really just elevated my understanding about the power of magic the power of magicians and not just the power of magicians but the power of the human mind and the human psyche and i think you are certainly someone who's elevated a lot of people's consciousness and not just ours but you've definitely laid a few magic tricks in a lot of people's minds today and so we actually thank you tom for being on the podcast and we really do appreciate your time sir well it's it's been really wonderful and maybe we can have a podcast about dreams sometime. One million percent. No doubt okay. about it. <laughs> All right. So Tom, you Tom, just... I've, you're already in the calendar? <laughs> okay. You just be in touch, okay? Yeah, cool. Wow. What a podcast episode that was. Please check out Tom's website, magicianswithoutborders.com. And also please check out Tom's book, The Transformational Power of Dreaming, which is a great book. And for anyone who hasn't yet decided to become a Patreon member, it would be amazing if you could just consider joining the Patreon community and supporting the podcast. And when you also become a Patreon member by donating whatever amount each month that you can, even if it's only $2 a month, you will gain access to bonus content that is only available to Patreon subscribers. And the content and rants on that Patreon page are now really starting to rack up. And we're going to be constantly adding more and more new bonus conversations and other rants over at that Patreon page on a regular basis. And we're really going to make it the place for you guys to go who want to get a bit extra from the podcast and really want it. we really just want to make it the place that you can go to gain a big insight in who we are as people 
and in the process we can also share with you loads of extra cool bonus content. So if this does tickle your fancy, all you need to do is go to the Ascend podcast website and hit the subscribe button or also go to the Ascend Patreon page. And if you cannot support the podcast, that is also absolutely fine. We understand and we just really appreciate it, that the fact that you are just listening to this thing. And I just also want to say we appreciate you all. We love that you're coming on this journey with us. We're a part of your journey, but you are a big part of ours. And next week is also our 100th episode on the podcast. So to celebrate that, I hope you all join us next week on our 100th episode on the Ascend podcast. So anyway, we'll catch you all next week. Keep seeking everyone. Peace.